Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I have the chance to speak with Tracy Solly, who is the Conduct Risk Management Managing Director and Corporate Responsibility Officer at Charles Schwab. It's a little bit of a mouthful, but I think I got it there. Before joining Charles Schwab, Tracy had a full career at the FBI with roles as an agent, prosecutor, and ethics and compliance officer. As someone who went from law firm life to in-house, I was struck by Tracy's path from law enforcement and into the corporate compliance field. So with that, I, I don't want to do any disservice to your full background. So it's, so you can tell us about your background and how you got into your role now. Okay. And thank you, Lisa. And I'm really honored to be on this podcast. I'm a big fan and also a big fan of the book that you and Mary have written. I'm sending the elevator back down. I really am happy to be here. I have been an attorney for 30 years, which is hard to believe. I started out as a prosecutor in Ohio. I moved on to the FBI. I was with the FBI for 23 years in that in that position, in that job. I was in a lot of different positions. So I was a special agent and I investigated public corruption from primarily some other white-collar crimes, money laundering, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act violations, some tax matters. I was also an attorney for the FBI, so I worked in the FBI's general counsel office. I was in the investigative law unit and the employment law unit in, in that role, and then I served as a division counsel in a few of our other divisions nationwide. And you mentioned one thing you mentioned when we talked was that when you finished law school, you were one of the people who was always planning to go into some sort of law enforcement or prosecutorial work. The corporate law firm world, where I assume a lot of your colleagues and friends from the time might have been going, you originally just chose this different path. I, I did, and I had been a summer associate at a few law firms, gotten the flavor for what that experience might be, and it was a good experience, but ultimately I decided I wanted to go into something that was more public service focused. Yeah. And while you were at the FBI, you one of the things you did, obviously, was a lot of fighting against public corruption. What were some of the areas where you were focusing? So I started out working corruption in D.C., where as there are a lot of public officials, and we had multiple corruption squads for the FBI in D.C. Some look at federal officials, some look at local officials. I was more focused on the local officials. So... I worked matters involving police corruption, D.C. Fed official, city official corruption. That was primarily my. OK. And talk a little bit, if you could, a little bit about undercover operations and what you did and how you advised in some of those. So when I was in the office of the general counsel, I worked in the investigative law unit. And one of the areas where I provided legal advice was for undercover operations. I also provided advice on surveillance, monitoring, things like Title III wiretaps and searches, things that were pretty sensitive techniques in providing legal advice to make sure we were staying within the constraints of the Constitution, the laws, and our own internal policies, which were generally even stricter than what the law required. Yeah. And one of the things, too, about that, excuse me, was that the techniques that you may need to in those areas, when we think about it a lot from an in-house or other perspective, we'll talk about that a little bit later, it's generally how are we protecting certain things and doing, right? when it's not usually the same sort of 
outreach for information and dealing with that law enforcement perspective. How do you handle that from an ethics and compliance perspective? What are just some thoughts from your time? Because that's a really difficult balance, I would Absolutely. And our mission was to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States, which is a pretty heady task. And I took it extremely seriously. And it was certainly my experience that all of my colleagues did as well. And I carried a, a mini constitution in my pocket every single day that I came to work. But really, compliance is maybe more than just a fine if you're not complying with something. Really working with people's civil rights and, and, and protecting people. And it, it is a very fine balance if you've got a suspect you believe has committed a crime. You want to make sure that you're investigating that with all appropriate techniques but you absolutely don't want to go beyond what's authorized. And you need to make sure that you've got the right evidence in place that that will justify the use of those techniques. And it's really, really a serious task, I think, to make that decision when you're going to be using those intrusive techniques. You have to make sure you're doing absolutely the right thing. And one of the things, some of it comes from, I was, yeah, I was laughing about this with somebody about a different profession, but of course, we see the FBI on TV or law enforcement, and then you're the good guys and the bad guys and all of that. One of the things that's just remark interesting to me when you think about it is that over time, you or more of some of the people who might be on the front lines are really seeing some of the worst. So some of the time, how do you get to a point where you can keep having a open, unbiased mind, whether it's to rein in if needed or encourage. I think in ethics and compliance, sometimes many of us get a little cynical, but it's a different level. So how, I mean, from a level of somebody who was doing this for a long time, how did you handle that? And what were warning signs or just a little bit of that experience? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, and that, that is a great question. And I think you just really have to have the mindset of innocent until proven guilty. And do we have the right evidence and being very cognizant that it can't move forward if you don't. And just continuously reminding yourself that, yes, I have seen all of this criminal activity for 20 plus years, but this is another case and I have to treat it as a new instance. And you give the person the benefit of the doubt and that the whole investigative process is fair and compliant. And advising, how do you, are there any techniques you'd use to advise those, you know, specifically who might be with your view on what is intrusive or inappropriate? And I'm not trying to describe bad intent to anyone, for sure. Let's not say that. But it's the analogy I keep thinking of in my head is when salespeople say, you don't understand. I feel like it might be much more extreme when it's actually more of a life or death situation. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Sometimes it's very difficult and you do have, you have to make those very quick decisions about can we pursue this course of investigation? And there is a life or death potential circumstance, depending on what type of case it is. I think the best and easiest way to deal with that is just to stick with the law and to break down the legal requirements step by step as you're talking to, say, agents who would come in and be very eager to pursue a case and just say, okay, have we met this required element? Have we met this required element? Just going step by step through making it easier for them by maybe breaking it down, providing that guidance even in advance. We have to have this before we can take this next step. And it, it, it's difficult. And I wouldn't expect agents to just be reading statutes every day, trying to understand what, what's appropriate or even our own internal policies, but just making that available and applying it and walking through step by step to make sure you've covered everything you need to. It, it's tough though. And it's like you said, it has to be done very quickly sometimes. 
And you have to build, you probably have to build trust or do build trust over the years in what you're doing as well. Absolutely. And I think it's it's sometimes if we're pretty certain someone's done something illegal, helping them get to the point where we can move forward with the investigation as well. So not just being the one that always says, no, we can't do this, we can't do that. But okay, to be able to go this next step, here's what we have to do to make it happen and being supportive in that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you, is there any other issue that you that's specific to the government or the prosecution side that was really significant to you or that you'd want to share that really formed where you're, you were and where you're going? Yeah, one, one of the areas I worked for several years in our international operations division and traveled to about 25 different countries for work, worked long term in a couple different countries overseas, really saw a great picture of how a lot of other countries look differently at compliance and ethics and different practices. And anti-bribery and corruption, what we might consider a violation might be just a normal course of business in a lot of other countries. So really maneuvering within those cultures and really helping our partners understand if we're working a matter together, we all have to comply with with U.S. law and with FBI requirements and just making sure that we're all on the same page as we're working cases together. But just fascinating to see the different perspectives. And I definitely worked in some countries that had much different laws and maybe values and rights than we observe here. Yeah, it is interesting. And that is also a parallel with corporate compliance programs. We'll talk about that, especially because what is culturally acceptable in one place may be non-compliant for a public company or something else. And it's There are certain things that are always a no-go, but there are certain things that are just considered different country to country, and that becomes a really big challenge, particularly when you're enforcing the law. Absolutely. So the reason I mentioned before that you didn't go into the in-house or corporate world right away, but now you're there. What brought you into what you're doing right now? And I know every time I've talked to you how much you love what you're doing, so I'm so interested in sharing with everybody what got you there. I do love what I'm doing, and I feel so lucky to be in this role. The FBI, and I don't think a lot of people know this, they make agents depart at a certain age. And I think they want people to still be at the height of physical fitness and have great eyesight and things like that. So there is an age limit for age agents. Ultimately, I had to retire from the FBI. And I had a window of about seven years from when I was eligible and when I could would actually be told, please leave now. <laughs> Thank you for your service. I did start looking for an outside role. I have to say I was quite skeptical about the private sector because I'd investigated so many companies that were doing wrong things. During the course of my employment, I really didn't have a great picture of the of the positive side. I was just looking at those who were engaged in wrongdoing. Definitely extremely nervous, I think, to make that transition, but too young to not work anymore. I definitely wanted to go to a different role. I had a seven-year time frame, so I could be pretty picky. And I really wanted to look for a company that I felt had a strong ethical culture and not just something that was on paper, but something that was truly followed and practiced top to bottom. And that was a real focus for me when I I was looking for a different position. Yeah, I think once you got there, you really probably started to see all these other people that were trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I have to say that was my biggest surprise and most pleasant surprise because either that that's my impression that most people want to do the right thing. And I think similar to how I would work with the agents back in the FBI when I was in the legal role to say, okay, here's what we need to do to get it right. I feel like that's what my role is now. People come and say, I want to make sure I'm doing this right. Or, you know, so that's my role now to make it as easy as possible for them to 
go down the right path, not unintentionally do something wrong and give them that proper guidance, easy way to report things that they have concerns. I know you've talked about this, Lisa, from time to time, because I've seen one of your presentations. Let's make those policies usable. And we all, a lot of us are attorneys and we all write policies like attorneys and cite long sections of statutes and things like that. You know, that's one thing that I think it's really important that we break them down in a way that are, that's understandable and functional and aligns with the on the, on the ground really work in, in the business and in the day-to-day operations. Yeah, you're referring to the fact that my belief is there, nobody cares other than lawyers about the history of why some law came into play like FCPA. But what everyone really does care about is what can I do? What can't I do? What is what does this mean to me country by country? You mentioned that before. And I would say it's, what's a gift in one country is a bribe in another. And I was going to ask you about that again, because you know, do you see it differently? Excuse me, in going looking th- at these things now through a more in-house corporate lens than when it was a prosecution lens. So how do you change your view on it and to adapt to what you need to, but make sure you're still getting to the right results? Yeah, yes, definitely. And I think just helping people with the right guidance to do the right thing. And again, it's not, I think my view is like people aren't, the vast majority of people have no intention of doing something inappropriate. And I know there are always exceptions in every, every business. You may or may not have someone who intentionally acts inappropriately, but for the most part, people just need, that right guidance, they need it to be broken out appropriately and usable and workable in, in whatever their, their actual role is. And you just need to have that practical training. And I think, yeah, I was going to say with that to the other side is if somebody doesn't live up to those obligations, they have to be disciplined or terminated or something like that too, because that's the other way to maintain credibility. I, I, are you finding that as well in your experience? Yes, I think absolutely people. I think one of the reasons I hear most often and th- throughout the business world and why people don't raise concerns is because they think nothing's going to happen anyway. Or if it's a higher level person involved, that why bother? Nothing's going to happen. I'll be retaliated against. So I think it's extremely important for people to see that any misconduct is resolved quickly, that it's the and the investigation is fair and thorough, that people are appropriately disciplined when there is wrongdoing. Accountability, I think, is, I think is extremely important that people understand that, yes, when there is wrongdoing, we don't let it grow and you continue to build and infect the company, but we address it quickly and have really zero tolerance for any intentional misconduct. Yeah. It's always the idea of what level in the business and what are we doing? It's always a, that's always a consistency can be a challenge, but it is critically important, I think, for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. That, that That's a very important aspect, I think, of our program is making sure that we are tracking and consistently treating similar cases in a similar way and in similar discipline for similar violence. And then I guess one of the things I mentioned it a couple of times, you know, when I came in-house, and I, this is, I've, I joke about this as my karma, because when I first started, when I was a baby lawyer a very long time ago, I remember looking at something that happened in the document reviews and thinking, I don't understand how these people can get into this mess. Now, what were they doing? And now in real time, occasionally, you'll see people making human decisions or what may be less risk averse, not necessarily illegal, but can be an error. So now I'm like, this is my punishment for being. So I always think about the things that surprised me when I got into in-house and corporate. And that's one of them. You're more, it's the human part and the invested. You're not looking at it. It's not a post-game analysis there. So for you, was there anything that kind of hit you as that that moment? I know we've talked about 
you're talking about how the good good outweighed the bad. Were there any other things that you came in and were kind of, were big surprises to you? I, I, yes, I think something that surprised me most was I knew there was great tone from the top. I was expecting there might be more first line pushback for certain things. And essentially, I know compliance can often be regarded as as trying to impede the business elements within a certain company and slowing things down. I was actually very pleasantly surprised that it was really just the opposite. And we have such good relations with First Line. We're asked all the time, can you come speak to our team? Can you tell them what the requirements are, how they report any concerns. Can you come share with us trends that our peers are seeing that we might want to know about so we can make sure we don't go down that same road or get into the same situation? So really that great level of support and collaboration, I think, with the first line, it really surprised me because I just assumed that would be a constant battle. <laughs> and I think maybe that's because of you know what, maybe what I saw from my investigative background that Maybe some of those companies, the business wasn't listening to compliance the way they should have been. Yeah. And you're often seeing back in those days, the work, the problems. So that is interesting. So one of the things, let's talk about you as a woman in the FBI. That's, That's fascinating. And one of the things that you mentioned was that when you started at the FBI, women comprised 14% of the agents. And when you left several years later, only now 20% are women. So is that progress, some progress. What is your thought about that? Yeah. yeah. And last year was the 50th anniversary of women being allowed to be agents in the FBI. And the first women came in 1972 after J. Edgar Hoover died because he wouldn't allow women to be agents before then. And the first two agents, female agents, were a former Marine and a former nun. So you're both, what I'm <laughs> assuming are very strong women who of conviction who, who had very important roles before that, but 23% still isn't a lot. And I think the needle has moved very slowly. That's been a long time. I know that with the current director, the, there's really a strong initiative in place to try to increase diversity. There's a chief diversity officer now. I know, I think they're focused on going out to some underserved communities just to let people know if you haven't thought about the FBI, why don't you think about it? Because we're really looking for a diverse workforce. I know they're working on that, but it does seem to be moving extremely slowly from 14% to 23% over 25 plus years. That's still not great. And I think it's really important that law enforcement really reflect the, the communities that they serve. And that's obviously they're more than 23% women. So I think it, it's important that they continue those efforts. I guess thinking about diversity and Women primarily, but diversity as a whole, having a diverse team, which I completely agree with, because how can you look at risks or adequately represent what you're trying to do if everyone's the same or similar? But in diversity in general, are there challenges you think are unique to women in being an agent or the FBI that may make it both harder or maybe even easier, but more harder than easier? Yeah, I I think probably different challenges for everyone. I can talk about what mine were. And I think coming in back then, I didn't know any women who were agents. So I hadn't really seen any women in that role. I knew there were some, I just didn't personally know any, but all I knew about was like Scully from the X-Files and Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. (laughs) But it's maybe not as you're going into this just incredible new and different career, 
you don't have anyone to look at, maybe out in the public. At least back at that time, there weren't as many female leaders that you would see maybe on the news talking about the FBI, not seeing that representation. And so I think coming in, it's, I think you get that imposter syndrome and it's, are, should I really be here? I don't see a lot of other people like me here. Do I belong? I think that part is really tough. Some things for challenges for me, I don't know that it was based on gender, but you know, firearms was very difficult for me when I first came in to learn firearms. I ended up doing fine, but it was a struggle at first. But I don't know that it was gender specific or not, or just, <laughs> just specific to me. But I think just that representation and not having a lot of others who are like you. I think of an advantage I did have once I got into the organization was where there were a lot of great women who came in before me who were you know, in for maybe 20 years when I came in and uh, they had fought some tough fights. I think it probably had a harder time in 20 years prior and were really great role models and uh, fantastic agents. And a follow-up about that is that you had talked earlier about a lot of your international work. And I, even me, as a woman who's not in law enforcement, you, you find different challenges in different countries when you're there and you're working on things. Did you find any unique challenges or things that were more pronounced from some of those experiences? Yes, I def can definitely say some countries I worked in maybe didn't want to work with uh, you with uh, a female agent. And there were times, I won't mention the country, but you definitely, I was asked, can I talk to a man? Right. So that's tough. And I have to say, to the credit of the FBI, I, their response was, this is our representative. If you want to work with us, you're going to, you're going to talk with Tracy. You I've got great support on that, but it did absolutely have people say, yeah, I want to talk to a man instead. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you have any advice you'd give to women who are thinking about going into law enforcement or the FBI? We, I, we have a lot of people listening that are younger and starting their careers. So I think that'd be um, really impactful. Yeah, do it. If you're at all interested, do it. Even if you're not interested, maybe look into it to see if you might be. Law enforcement is just such a great way to help people to serve the community. I think it's important going back to the representation. I would love to see more women continue to go into law enforcement so others in the community can say, oh, hey, I could do that as well. Or someone like me is in this role. Maybe it's easier to make a connection with the community. The FBI in particular had so many different options and different things to investigate. I could be a lawyer one day, the next day I could go work cases, I could go overseas for some things, a lot of different opportunities. And it's not just, I think a lot of people hesitate to go into like an agency like the FBI because they think it's just former law enforcement or former military. But you know, there's so many different professions, lots of attorneys, lots of accountants, certainly people who are proficient in technology and in cybersecurity and different languages, people from so many different roles, really such a great diversity of experience that, that comes into the FBI. I'm afraid people are hesitant to join because they think, oh, I've got to be a former cop or former military to succeed. There are so many different types of investigations and roles that a lot of different people are, can be very effective as investigators. That That's a great thing to hear. And now that they've listened to you, you can help, <laughs> help form the next generation. So thank you so much for being here with me today and for sharing your experiences and being such a great part of the GWIC community. So on behalf of me and Mary and Clients Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 